Let's, let's look at 2 Corinthians 13, 11 through 14. The Apostle Paul is saying his last few words in chapter 13. After a long letter to the Corinthians trying to get them back in line with the truth and rescue them from the false apostles there and all the deceptions that they were teaching. And as bad as the Corinthians were, and as much as they hurt Paul emotionally, Paul never gave up on them, never stopped loving them. And it shows in these last four verses just how how much he loved these Corinthians. Spent a long time with them when he established the church and just wrote two letters to them, wrote actually four letters to them. Two of them are in the, in the scriptures. And he just, he just stayed with them. That's, that's faithfulness on the pastor's part. So verse 11, he says, Finally, brethren, rejoice, be perfect, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace shall be with you. So he's, he's got a few things to say here, and these are, these are commands. These aren't just not uh, happy sayings as I say goodbye to you guys. Uh, these, are, these are actually commands. Rejoice. It, isn't it sad we have to be commanded to rejoice? <laughs> we have to be commanded to love, to rejoice, to do everything that should be like just natural once God saves you, but uh, that's how strong the sinful nature is. We still have to re- be reminded, rejoice. Because of sin, we, we, we tend to look on things with a negative attitude sometimes and get discouraged and down, uh, but we should be rejoicing. That's what he's telling the Corinthians. Just rejoice all the time. We have eternal life. We have all God's promises. He promised to help us, to work all things out together for our good. What is there not to rejoice about? Just keep, keep, keep (coughs) rejoicing. Jesus had joy, didn't he? As he went through all his trials, he had joy. And then before he left the disciples, he told them, I want my joy to remain in you and I want your joy to be full. And so our example is Jesus getting ready to go to the cross like the next day and be separated from his father and punished for our sins. He's saying, I'm full of joy. I want you to have my joy and I want your joy to be full. In other words, when you go through hard times, good t- it's easy to be happy and joyful when good times are rolling, right? Everything's going great. When things go bad on you, trials come, tragedies happen. He's saying, keep rejoicing. Jesus wants us to be full of his joy. What a great testimony to the world. They see you, not just fake joy with a painted smile, not giddy, that you really have absorbed the shock of your tragedy and you're able to praise God and say, I know because you love me, you have given me this, this trial. The world just won't understand that. You don't even have to say it. They'll just see the way you behave and conduct yourself when things are, are, are painful for you. 
because they wouldn't do that. So what a testimony that is. Okay, the next thing he says after rejoice is be perfect or be made complete. So this is a little different than what James was saying when he said let, let patience have her perfect work, that you'll be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. This, is, this has the idea of um, putting things in order, that kind of completion. You know, your stuff is out of order. You bring it back, get it in together where it's supposed to be. Uh, it's restoring things to the way they should be. Uh, so this is maybe your doctrine's off. You have some sinful habits you need to get uh, rid of, some broken relationships, some half-hearted efforts. You're, maybe you're not studying your Bible like you should be. You're out of order there. You're not praying the way you should be. You're living for self. So things are out of order in your life. And he's saying, be made perfect. Get your stuff back in order. This is really needful for the Corinthians to hear this because everything was out of order there. They were completely doing everything wrong just about. So be perfect. Bring and check your life. See if something's not right as far as God's word tells you to have it. So I got to get that back in order. I got to get on the ball. Okay, the next one in verse 11. Be of one mind. Or the first, right after um, be made complete, be of good comfort. That's the idea. Be of good comfort, then be of one mind. So, this idea of be of good comfort or be comforted is the idea of uh, receiving the admonition and the exhortation of the folks around you, and especially I think he's aiming at listen to the teachers that were put over you. Receive their teaching, their admonitions, and their exhortations, and submit to their authority. Because they weren't, they weren't submitting to Paul because they were believing the false apostles, and they were just way off track there. So when you receive the truth from others, you can get your life together and walk in joy and peace. So one of the men prayed tonight, um, give us teachable hearts, teachable spirits. That's the idea. And it can come from anybody. It can come from your pastors. It can come from people in the church. They just come alongside you and they exhort you. They know about you. They know something's in your life. They want to address it, and they exhort you. So keep an open heart to anybody that comes along. You know, most of us are defensive, aren't we? Who wants to be corrected? Who wants to be told they're doing something wrong? Nobody. So we we tend to be defensive and not want to receive that exhortation, that admonition. But just stay open. It was like, um, remember when David had to leave Jerusalem? Absalom ran him out. He took off, and there was, this, there was this guy, Shimei, that was coming alongside. He was a bum. And he was throwing stones at David and kicking up dust at him. He's saying, you bloody man, you bloody man. And one of David's henchmen came over and said, let me take off his head. I just, I'm going to just go like that. David said, stop. 
God sent him to curse me. I'm listening. Yeah. Think of that example and say, you know, somebody comes by and they don't even do it with the right tone of voice, the right attitude. They just want to jump on something you did wrong. Just listen. Be open. Maybe they'll have something that actually helps, even though they did it all wrong. Be open to criticisms, exhortations from everybody around you and from the Word of God especially and just say, yes, that's me. I need to, I need to change that. Okay, and then he says, be of one mind or be like-minded. What is that? That's the only way to have this kind of view is to have the same view that God has. Literally, it means think the same things. That's the only way there can be unity in a church. Unity in the church is not true God-given unity unless it's according to God's truth. Amen? You can have unity if you like take all the doctrines away that make people upset. You finally end up with, we love God. right? Very bland and ubiquitous. It doesn't teach you anything. So be like-minded according to God's truth. Sadly, many churches today, uh, unity is man-made because that truth has been rejected. It's man's ideas against God's ideas, and they substitute man's ideas, and everybody's happy, and they have social hour. But we are given unity when we're saved. That's how God works. As soon as he saves you, you have a built-in unity. You love the brethren. You have to work at it, but there's still that unity. It's automatic, and you're trying to keep it going. So we want to be of the same mind, on the same page, as God speaks to us through his word. We're in agreement with God and with one another. Then he says, live in peace. Everybody loves peace. Live in peace. Peace is the natural outcome of a church that believes God's truth and walks in that truth. Just flip over to Ephesians 4. You'll see the the basic building blocks for maintaining church unity. We already have unity. Now we're trying to maintain it. And this is what Paul says will we'll bring that maintenance of unity. Verse 1, 2, and 3 in Ephesians 4. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you that you walk worthy of the calling to which you were called. Okay, so the calling is the calling into salvation. God calls you to come to Christ and you come the effectual call, you become a Christian, and as soon as you're a Christian, expectations from God are that you now conduct your life in a different way than you used to. And the conduct of your life is going to be according to what God says a new person in Christ should be. Okay? So there's, there's a 
It does, you're not worthy because you're a Christian now. He's saying walk in a way that's fitting with your new life in Christ. And then he gives us some ways that that is manifested once you're saved. With all lowliness, which is humility. So you humble yourself before God and you count yourself as nothing. And that's hard for us to do because we think we're something. And meekness, which is more than gentleness, it's, it's accepting God's dealings with you as good. Whatever God deals you. You know, somebody says they have a hard time said, dealt me a bad hand. God dealt me a bad hand. There's no such thing. Oh, and if you have this view, nothing will ever bother you where you have to get mad and upset when people are doing things to you. Because you're a meek person, that means you count everything God does to you, because it's coming through Him, as good. Something that's going to benefit you. So you're humble, you're meek, you're also long-suffering, He says. means that you are willing to suffer for long periods when people are against you and doing things to you. And also, you're forbearing. That means you bear or you, you, you hold up, you endure, you don't retaliate. You just keep letting people do things according to God's perfect plan for your life. So you're, bearing, you're doing all these things in love, bearing with one another in love. If you have those qualities, those fruits in you, It says, verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. If you have those qualities and they're, be, they're coming out of you, there will be peace in you. You will be a peacemaker. There will be peace in the people around you if they're living the same way. That's how you have peace internally and corporately. You're humble. You're long-suffering. You're meek. You forbear. It's quite a challenge, isn't it? Because there's always somebody and something ready to get under your skin. Okay, let's go back to 2 Corinthians 13 11. And if the Corinthians would do these things that we just went over in verse 11, here's the result that is promised. And the God of love and peace shall be with you. That's a result of carrying out the commands that Paul gave them. The presence of God in the assembly. That's what he's talking about here. The God of love and peace shall be with you. You will sense and know that he's present. You'll sense his love and his peace because we're in fellowship with him. When, when you're living like this, you have, you have great fellowship with God personally and it spreads to the church. And I really think that's, that's why everyone here in Emmanuel Baptist Church has this degree of peace and is not reluctant to come to church, which some are because of all infighting and stressed out 
Because the church doesn't have peace, people don't look forward to coming to church. But God's blessed us. We're not, we're not fighting. We're not stressed out. We're not like so acting so wickedly that people say, I don't even want to be around those people. We come, we find encouragement, we find friendship, we find fellowship with one another according to God's grace. If we leave our first love like the Ephesians did, individually and corporately, this is what we can lose. The God of love and peace shall be with you. That, that sense of his presence. That sense of the peace among the brethren. If we have God as our first love and we're doing these things, we'll be okay. If we, if we put him down to second place or third place because we're too busy with other stuff that's more important to us, we hurt ourselves and we hurt the assembly. And God definitely was in the first place in the Corinthian church. So they needed these commands. They needed to be exhorted. Fall in line. Get yourselves together. And God, the God of love and peace, shall be with you. There's no no greater blessing in a local church than to have the, the sense of God being with us. And it starts with the leadership and honoring God's word. And it filters down. And the men leading their families at home through the word of God coming prepared to worship the Lord, all that, and we sense God is with us. Praise God for that. Okay, Paul goes on in in verse 12. He says, here's how they're supposed to greet one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Back in those days, a kiss was an accepted way to greet a fellow Christian. And it was called a holy kiss because it was to be an outward expression of brotherly love in Christ without any thought of impure motives. Brotherly love. You don't see it much today. The the use of the Holy Kiss gradually faded from use in the church, but some, some still use it. Okay? If, if John Porter ever comes back, you might get a Holy Kiss. Right? Paul wanted the the Corinthians to love one another and use this holy kiss to show affection in a church that had so much division in it. He was really trying to get them back on track. Uh, We we typically use uh, hugs and embraces and warm handshakes to demonstrate our affection for one another. And that's fine. If you feel like a holy kiss, go ahead. Just make sure your motives are pure. Verse 13. All the saints greet you. That's what Paul says. He was in Macedonia when he wrote this letter. And all the Christians who were with Paul sent their love to the Corinthians. That tells us something. Brotherly love is not just for people in your local church. Whoever is a, is a, a Christian, you love them. God puts that love in our hearts. When he gives us salvation, he gives us love for him, love for the brethren. How many of you have just 
run into a Christian somewhere, never knew the person, but you started talking, found out they were Christian. It was just an automatic, like, like a brotherhood, a kinship. It's pretty exciting to see that happen. Now, that's the idea. All these people maybe never even met the Corinthians. They send their love. They greet the Corinthian believers. And then Paul closes out with a blessing that he pronounces on them in verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. What an amazing statement, isn't it? What a way to close a letter. It highlights the very essence of God. God is Trinitarian. Simply means he's, he's three persons and one God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So Paul doesn't explain the Trinity here. That, that requires a study of the Old and New Testaments, put all those truths together. Uh, but he, this is just a, a kind of a, a brief outline of the Trinity. So if you're, if you're talking to somebody about the Trinity, this is a great verse to go to. Matthew 28. 18 through 20 also. How important is it to know and believe the truth of the Trinity? Really important. There's no salvation apart from believing in how God has revealed himself to be God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You cannot be saved if you do not believe in the Trinity. Those who deny this truth will perish in their sins without salvation. The Mormons, Jehovah's Witness, Unitarians, in fact, all non-Christian religions deny the Trinity. And many who, who believe it, like the Roman Catholics, um, really are ignorant of what it, what it means. And it's just a doctrine to them. It's, it's nothing that has grasped their life and changed their life. Just think of how many people that encompasses. Every religion that's not Christian and some that call themselves Christian all deny the Trinity as the Bible reveals the Trinity. That's a lot of people that are perishing. Remember, if they deny the Trinity, they're denying the deity of Christ. It's automatic, so they're gone. God has been pleased to open our eyes. Amen? To understand these basic truths. And not even to understand it um, halfway, but to believe that God has actually revealed that through the various truths in Scripture. And he's allowed us to say, yes, there is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I see it in Scripture, especially the New Testament. It's developed. And I believe every bit of it. I don't understand all of it. And you don't have to understand all of it, but you have to believe that God is one eternal being who has revealed himself in three persons. In the New Testament, each person in the Trinity is called God. There is a simple way to help you understand that each person is the eternal God, but they're not three gods. Make sure your children understand that. Not three gods, one God, three persons. 
God the Father. Just in Galatians 1.1. Flip over there, you see that? Verse 1, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Okay, the Father is called God. We won't turn to all these, but John 1.1, Jesus is called God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the Word was Jesus. Jesus is God. And you all remember Acts 5, when Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit, and Peter said, you lied to God. They're all called God in the New Testament. So Paul's reminding the Corinthians of the wonder of their salvation here. He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. He reminds them of the grace of Jesus. He told them previous to that, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty you might become rich. They knew the grace of Jesus Christ. The death, burial, and resurrection was done as a favor to God's people and brought them forgiveness and eternal life. That's the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says the love of God. We all know the love of God. John three sixteen, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the amazing love of God that he would love anybody. The world there is the humanity, human beings. God so loved human beings that he gave his best. That's what love does. Love gives. It doesn't take. It gives. It takes action. In the, com- the communion of the Holy Spirit, the last one he mentions, the Spirit regenerates, gives a new birth, and then lives inside that person. This is a fascinating truth in Scripture that we don't fully understand. But the Holy Spirit, when He gives you the new heart, He comes into your life and stays and lives within you. You are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. He comes in you, and that allows you to have communion with the Father, with the Son, with the Holy Spirit, and with one another. He empowers us to be able to live in fellowship with God and carry out his will. So the salvation we have is because of what God has done, because of the love of God, the grace of Jesus, and the communion of the Holy Spirit. And it's not just a one-time work of, the, of God. God keeps on working in those who are saved. God the Father watches over us. Amen. He watches the sparrow. He watches over us. He supplies our needs. Like a loving father, he chastens us when we get out of his will. Always because he loves us. Jesus always advocates for us and always intercedes for us and always leads us to green pastures and beside still waters. That's our, that's our great shepherd. 
always leading us, always praying for us. And the Holy Spirit empowers us continually to learn truth about Christ and be more conformed to the image of Christ. So God loves us and saves us. Jesus dies for us. The Holy Spirit regenerates us, but then they keep working. God watches out for us. He's always with us. He's everywhere at all times. Jesus prays for us. The Holy Spirit enables us to carry out the will of God. Well, that, that brings to an end the study of First and Second Corinthians. I, don't, I didn't look back and see how long we've been at it, but it's been a while. So I, I'm just thanking God for the truths he's shown us in this study. And I look at the Corinthian church after going through these two books in detail. And I thank God we don't have those problems. Because, I mean... Let's be honest, they, they didn't have everything we have now in our day. That was an early church. They had great teachers, Paul and Paulus and those guys, teachers, but they didn't have internet, they didn't have books like we have. They barely had you know, the, the scriptures. They, were, they would go around, they'd read them. Everybody didn't have their own Bible. So they were way behind us in that regard. But still, there are churches in this day and age just like the Corinthian church. God has blessed us. We don't have those problems. He's helped us. Uh, we have to be diligent. We have to remain diligent and sober and humble. Keep praying. Keep studying. Keep seeking to honor Jesus in our private lives and in our church lives. Make Jesus your first love. And hold on to it. Don't ever leave the first love. Because all it takes is some people... Maybe just one to drift away from the Lord, cause some problems, spreads to others, and you end up having great division and strife within the church. So be diligent in your private Christian walk. Bring your love and wisdom into the church. Serve others. And hold on to Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Brother Jake, can you ask the Lord to...